0: That's 8-0. That's the one after 79 and before 81, which I did last time. Before that, I did 82. So I'm going backwards. I think it'd be fun if I did 79 next time. We'll see what happens. Um, but it's another Psalm of Asaph. So um, like 81 and 82 before, it's a Psalm of Asaph. But this one is probably not um, Asaph himself. Um, it could be but it's probably not. Um, If you were here the last time, we talked about the Psalms of Asaph. They could have been from him. He was around the time of David, one of the musicians in the tabernacle um, with David. Um, But there are also references to the sons of Asaph and Ezra that existed later after the return from exile. Um, They could be called Psalms of Asaph because they're of the same theme or the same tone, um, but may not actually be him. Um, it's possible to be him the same person, um, but in that case, this psalm would have to be very prophetic um, because the, the themes and what's happening in the, the middle parts of this psalm wouldn't be something that he would be dealing with um, during or before his lifetime. Um, so it's probably referring to someone of his family or someone of his type um, later on um, following the time of the Assyrians and the Babylonians coming to Israel. So that's where we are here in Psalm 80. Go ahead and read through this um, real quick. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us an object of contention for our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea, and it shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls, so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the fields feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see. have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the sun whom you made strong for yourself." They have burned it with fire, they have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man who you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord, God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. And so as you can see, there you know there's a there's definitely a theme in there, or an idea of destruction, and of lamenting, and of yearning for something better. Um, often, this is thought to be a psalm written specifically to the northern kingdom of Israel. Um, following the time of the Assyrians coming and taking them away because of the references to the three tribes of Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. It could also be referring to all the Jewish people after the Babylonian um, captivity when Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldeans came and took the people away. Um, Or it could be for another calamity because nothing in here is specifically mentioned. One point in history... um, but could be something else that occurred to them, some other calamity, some other um, hardship that the Jewish people faced um, in the Promised Land. Um, As we start here, the first three verses, um, referring to the shepherd of Israel. He's, um, He's appealing to God as the shepherd. God as a shepherd led the Jews out of Egypt. He led them into the promised land, um, but even before that, in Egypt, he kept them. He restored them. He took them out, and he is our shepherd. Also, uh, we are his sheep. It's said uh, for Christ that he knows his sheep, that he is our shepherd also, um, and that he guides us. He guides us because he bought us with his blood, um, and he leads us now. So, you know, people talk about the Old Testament. It does does it apply now? Should we be, be reading it now? Um, but we see in the Old Testament everywhere the work of Christ, the coming of the Lord that's there, and, and what he does for us now. You are enthroned upon the cherubim. The cherubim shine forth. So God's throne in the tabernacle, you have the Ark of the Covenant, right? So you got the cherubim up top. And above there you have the mercy seat, which was God's home on earth and his place there. So it's referring to him there enthroned upon the cherubim, the shine. Um, and the, the Jewish people there with that spot in the center of their camp, worshiping God in their midst. Um, we also do. We we look to him. We look to him high on his throne in a, in, a, in his heavenly kingdom now, not in his Earthly place, you know, with, with his people. But we still look for him in his throne and we wish him to shine forth for us, uh, both as a guide for us um, and a guide for the world um, at large. Um, but him in that spot would guide his people, physically, literally, guide his people um, through the desert, through the wilderness um, when he was with them. And now we look to him to guide us through our life today. Asking him to shine forth, he's calling upon the power of the Lord. Calling upon him to assist us in our moments of need. Um, this psalm is going through trials, and he is calling on God to come down and use his power to shine on us and to relieve us of what we've done and the punishments that we have because of it. Um, and he is there shining on his power. And That's the first of several times he asks that the people be restored. Um, He's not asking them to be restored to a former glory. He's not asking them to be restored as a kingdom to something great. He's actually asking to be turned. So the Jewish people here, individually and collectively, are not with God. They had been led astray. They had led themselves astray to something else. Um, And these calamities and the things that happened to them are a result of that. And so he's asking not for the greatness of Israel again, but more specifically for themselves to be turned back to God and back to what they were before in their hearts and in their minds, worshiping the Lord and looking towards the Lord as, as, as their guide and as their king. Is there before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh? Um, this is an allusion back to being in the wilderness and and having the ark in in the midst of them, um, in his people. Um, these three tribes they existed in a group together on the west side of the tabernacle. When they were marching in order, they existed in the middle. Um, there's nothing, you know, specifically these tribes that would that would be, you know, great or wonderful or whatnot in that midst of people, other than they're the center of Israel at that moment. They would be following all of the um, the altars and the precious things or whatnot from the tabernacle as they marched along. Um, but he's there in the middle of the people. He is, he is there with us, and then God leading them is in the midst of his people. He's leading them. He is saving them. He's not far away from them, but he is there in community with them. Um, His power was great in those moments because the people looked upon him. They allowed themselves to be led by him, and they weren't turning astray. And they themselves as a group of people were powerful then because they focused on God, and they allowed God to lead them. Um, And from him comes the power to save. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Um, in In that refrain to restore us, there Calling on God to turn them and calling on God to save them, realizing that in their own power and in their own strength, they don't have the ability to do that. Um, They have to call on God because he is the one who would be the one who would turn them away from their sins. In their own sins, um, they they would stay without the power of God intervening in them. So this author realizes the need for repentance, realizes the need for the kingdom to turn back to him, realizing the need for God's people to turn back to God, but also realizing it is up to the Lord and his power for his people to be restored. Um, and that's the same for us now. So if we if we stray away from God, if we stray away from the work of Christ, if we allow our eyes to go somewhere else, um, we will stray And in order to turn back to him, in order to have um, restoration, in order to turn away from our sin, we have to call to God because we need his power and his work in us to keep away from that sin in us, to go back to him, to allow ourselves to be strong, to allow ourselves to be powerful and in his presence. Um, Let your face shine. So let your face shine. It's a, referring back to number six. It's the blessing that Aaron is to give to his people, um, is referred back, blending you know several times in this. It's going back to that blessing that Aaron is to give to the people, so that they may be in right standing with God, so that they can focus on Him. Also, moving down through to verse four, we have a change in tone and a change in content. And we have a change in how God is addressed. So in our first verse, um, he is the shepherd. In our third verse, restore us, O God. Um, In verse four, it's O Lord, God of hosts. So he's referring to more to his power and his majesty and his leadership. Um, And overall, this section laments uh, laments for his people. God is angry at their prayers. He's angry at their prayers because they're misdirected, they're unfaithful, they're unrepentant. um, And because of these things, they go unanswered. When we pray to God things that he does not want, when we pray to God with an unfaithful heart, when we pray to him asking for things to please us and not to be pleasing to him, he can be angry at our prayers. Um, When we come to him in sin without repentance... It's, it's like being, you know, it's insulting him. I am going to do this, and I'm going to do that my way. I will do what I wish to do my way, and then I'm going to come to you and ask for you to intervene when I need you. It's insulting to God, and he is angry at your prayers when you come to him in this way. Before you can do that, you have to turn away from your sin. You have to turn yourself to God, and you have to follow him. You have to follow him and be in Christ and be in Christ's righteousness if you want to have your prayers heard by God. And so in their unrepentance and in their unfaithfulness, he allowed them to have the results of their sin. He said, you have fed them the bread of tears and you have given them tears to drink in full measure. God is allowing them to exist in the choices that they make and exist with the consequences of their own actions. They turned away from the Lord and their their faith is not with him. He allows the natural consequences of their sin to continue. You make us an object for contention for our neighbor's. We know throughout their history, the neighbors around Israel um, often were at war with them, were enemies of them, had scorned for them. This is um, the, uh, the idea here, the object for contention for our neighbors is after our neighbors had, their neighbors had come and taken their people away and were picking at the remnants of Israel, that the neighbors around him then start fighting amongst themselves fighting like vultures over the body you know, on the side of the road. They all want the little pieces that are left behind. Um, and so you're causing strife among your enemies also because of your unbelief and because of your lack of faithfulness. Um, the plunder of the land and of the fields um, is causing enmity amongst the people that had fought to destroy you also because of um, you turning away from the people. Um, And we see this if we turn away from God. You know, We're not going to be invaded and have people take through our homes and run through our refrigerators and poke our things. But when we turn away from the Lord and we don't allow ourselves to be led by him, we lose our standing. We lose our ability to fulfill our commission. We lose our opportunity to make disciples when we are not following God. And those around us, those enemies around us, see that and they laugh amongst themselves. Here, the enemies of Israel laughing at Israel and laughing at Israel's God because the God did not protect them as they said they would. Um, they did not live up to the example they should. They would call upon the Lord vainly, without faithfulness, and when you do that, the people see God as being weak, and they see your faith as being weak, and they see your faith as being you know, non-existing, that's not there. Um, and so we take this now, if we call upon the Lord and we act ourselves, uh, well, we call ourselves Christians and we call ourselves fathers of God and followers of Christ, if we don't actually follow him, if we're not faithful in that following, if we do not do as he commands, our enemies in this world do the same thing and they laugh at us and they see our faults and they see our failures um, because we let them we allow ourselves to become that object of ridicule and all of this happens again because of our own sin when our sin we separate ourselves from god and we don't allow his power to work in us so instead of winning people to christ instead of you know bringing people in we allow them to be left to their own Destruction, because we ourselves are not doing what we need to be doing. And God's enemies then, out into the world, continue to be lost because of our failures. We are not able to witness effectively. We are not able to evangelize effectively. We cannot go out to the world and speak God's message and speak the gospel of Christ and be examples that he would have us to be because of our unbelief and our unfaithfulness. And so... Apart from just the consequences to us, we allow that to be consequences to others because we do not bring that faith and that hospitality and that discipleship to others. We didn't allow. We don't allow people to see the love we have for God and the love we have for one another. We fail in our commission, so God must restore us. So we get there again in verse seven. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Going to verse um, 8, you brought a vine out of Egypt. Now the vine here is the people of Israel. The vine here are the followers of God. The vine here are those believers. In history... You drove out the nations, and you planted it. You brought the vine out of Egypt. Now, a vine is not strong. A vine is not desired. A vine is weak. It sits there. It does not, you know, become great like a tree. It does not, you know, go out through a field and become a great crop. It is a vine, and it's, you know, it's there. It's weak, people don't want it. I see vines in my yard. I rip them out. They're not something that you want to be there, and it's fine. Rip them out, and they're gone, and they wither. That is the power that we have without God. We are nothing. We'd wither without him. We are the vine. But with God, they drove out the nations. God allowed them to. God in his power drove out the nations out of the promised land, and he planted that vine there. God cleared the ground for it to grow. God allowed it to take root, take root and those roots went deep. So said, it came out of Egypt that was powerful. It went into the promised land full of powerful kingdoms. But God in his power made it take root and allowed it to fill the land. It says in verse 10, the mountains were covered with its shade. Obviously a metaphor, vine's not going to be big enough to cover a mountain. But in its power and in its glory, its shade covered the mountains, meaning its power and its greatness were greater than the mountains. It covered the mighty cedars with its branches. This area, especially the northern area, going into what's modern-day Lebanon, famous for its cedar trees. They were desired all over the Mediterranean world. Um, Egypt built their temples with it. The Phoenician and Greek empires built their ships with it. These trees were massive, and they were strong, and they were renowned through the world for their strength. But with God, this vine was mightier than the cedar trees. It sent out its branches to the sea, and its shoots to the river. Again, in God's power, it was allowed to expand from the Mediterranean, probably back to the Euphrates River it's referring to, or the land of Abraham. It allowed it to spread out its influence and spread out its commerce and spread out its people over a vast area. But this vine, over time, did not produce good fruit. This vine relied on the river and on earth and on the powers of man and of the world and did not rely on God. We ourselves, if we rely on ourselves and we rely on the world and not on Christ, if we do not rely on the living waters that come from him, but we rely on the physical waters of this world, this greatness will be lost to us. And so we get to verse 12. Then why have you broken down its walls? Well, you broke down your walls because you did not follow God. All that pass along pluck its fruit. The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the fields feed it. I think you've seen around here we have you know wild boars, and you see their destruction and what they do, and they destroy and they rip up everything. Um, They destroy forests, they destroy trees, they destroy large plants, and obviously they're going to destroy the vine. Small animals come and pick it apart. Now all of this happens through the armies of men. The revile from other people, the revile that comes from the human heart towards these people, is all allowed because of our disobedience. This is all a consequence of our disobedience and our sin against God and the sin of this people towards God because they did not. Turn and follow him. But be reminded in these moments that God always remains sovereign. That God is always in control. It says here, then why have you broken down the walls? You know, God did not come to the walls of Jerusalem and raise them. Armies came, but he allows that to happen. But this psalmist realizes that all of that power, that all those consequences, that all the things that happen on earth good or bad, occur under God's authority. And that if he did not want it to happen, it would not happen. But he also, as a father to us, allows us to be disciplined. And if we are going to exist in a way that is separate from him, and exist in a way that does not follow him and follow his laws and follow his commands, he allows that discipline to be inflicted on us. Um, Sometimes, harshly, in the case of Israel here, being taken away by the kingdoms of Assyria and of Babylon. In verse 14, it tells us again, the turn, turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see. Again, the psalmist is asking for favor. He's asking for mercy. He's asking for favor and mercy that he knows the people of Israel don't deserve. But he begins to remind Um, God, what he has done for Israel and his believers and the vine. He tells us to have regard for the vine. He reminds God that the stock was planted by him. It was made strong by him. And that can be made strong again. He calls out to God, remembering the promises of God. Remembering that with God, if you are faithful to him, his promises will be fulfilled and if you believe in the promises that come with God, the strength of Israel would be fulfilled and he would be able to turn. The kingdom would be able to turn. The people would be able to turn back towards him and his leadership. See, so if he made Israel strong for his people and he will restore his people, he will give strength to them again. Particularly, he'll give strength to David's house again. He'll bring strength back to that kingdom He'll restore his people through the Messiah, who is to come, the true vine, the Son, whom you've made strong. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. Now, even through all of this, we talk about the enemies of God being able to inflict pain upon his people and destruction upon his people. But... Don't forget that just because God allows it to happen does not mean he endorses it. Does not mean he approves it. Again in verse 16 all of those people who have burned with fire and cut it down they will face rebuke. They will face punishment. They will face the wrath that is to come for not following God themselves and for the destruction they have brought upon God's people. Those that go against God's will and against his people will be punished. They will one day see the glory of God and shine forth as a punishment also. Um, and that's, that's a terrifying thing, to be an enemy of God and to one day see His punishment and to stand against Him and His people. Um, but again, we keep on in the verse 17, Let your hand be on the man of your right hand. The right hand, through various points in Scripture, refers to the Jewish state. It refers to the line of David. It refers to the kings of Israel. Um, And then ultimately, it refers to Christ, the Son of Man who is to come. The Son of Man who sits on the right hand of the Father, the one who is strong, who is made strong by God, he will be the one who comes and restores us. And when he does come and restore us, will not turn back. And he will not turn from us. Christ knows his sheep. He knows the sheep that he purchased with his own blood. He gave us life. It says in verse 18, from you give us life. And we will call upon your name. First coming, the gift from God in the present and then in the future. We will call upon your name. Again, our only strength is in Him, and through Him, and through Him alone, that Son of Man. He puts life into us so that our lives and our prayers and our petitions have purpose, that they can be heard by God, that His righteousness can come and count for us, so that when we go to God, we are not going to Him in unfaithfulness, that our prayers to Him are not heard in anger, but our prayers to him are heard as a father to his children. In verse 19 we go again, Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. He is given, again, a higher honor. He is given higher power than he was in the beginning of this psalm. As we go see, we see the power of God increasing. We see the honor the psalmist has for God increasing. We see the sovereignty that the author recognizes in God increasing. And he will cause our face to turn. In God's action and his work, he shines and we will be saved through him alone. As he restores us, as he turns us away from our sin.